You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Good morning. How are we doing? Where are all your blue checked shirts? Um, We have been looking through the book of Hebrews for the last four or five weeks. And we're going to be finishing that series this morning. I'm going to be taking us through Hebrews 13. Just to introduce myself, I'm Mark, one of the leaders here at Redeemer. If this is your first time here, especially a warm welcome from me. It's only our second time here, so uh, we're still learning a few things. But if you've joined us for the first time here this morning, it's great to have you with us. The theme of Hebrews is that Jesus is superior. And because Jesus is superior, it will impact the way that we live our lives. We've heard over the last few weeks that Jesus is superior to the angels. He's superior to Moses, then Aaron, then the priesthood. He is superior to everything. And because of that, it impacts the way that we live our life. It impacts the way that we live. As Christians, we are different because he has uh, done everything for us. Jesus has saved us because of what he did on the cross. And it's a result of that salvation that impacts the way that we live. Andy brought a word a second ago that we should come and feel the fullness of God, an overflow, drink fully from the river, Sandra said. And that river has restoration and healing. And that is so pertinent to what we're going to hear this morning. Last week, we heard a little bit from Rich about what did that faith achieve? How can we be challenged? Are we running or are we coasting? Is comfort necessarily the goal of what we're doing? What happens today is we hear in chapter 13... What happens when faith shows up? What it looks like when our faith shows up to our lives, to our friends, to our relationships, to our workplace, to our colleagues. What does fellowship in love really look like? I'm hoping that this morning we're going to come away feeling that Jesus is superior, Jesus is the center, and everything else that we do is going to be impacted because of it. Our prayer this morning is that just reading these few verses, our hearts are changed. It's the crescendo of the book. It's the end of Hebrews, and it impacts our lives. It starts with a wide catch-all, and then it goes deeper and deeper, showing hospitality to strangers, loving prisoners, and lands with the strong truths that are going to change us. So we're going to read the first eight verses of Hebrews 13. They're going to come up on the screen. I'm going to read it to us. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money. And be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. 
And I'll land that last verse there, because if you take nothing else from this morning, just remember that verse 8. Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. Just a word of note, that verse 6, where it says, I will not be afraid what can mere mortals do to me. That's a complete lift of Psalm 118 that David wrote uh, in the Psalms. And the writer of Hebrews uh, wants us to remember those scriptures. Uh, And I just thought I'd call it out because Hebrews is laced with references back to the Old Testament. Um, Other letters in the New Testament, if you've not read all of the New Testament, there are lots of letters in there. Hebrews is a letter. And many of them end with applications for individuals, but Hebrews is slightly different because it ends with an application for churches and fellowships. It talks there about leadership. And to be honest, there's about 15 different sermons that you can take just from those 88 verses. There's so many different things that I could say. Um, we're going to keep it quite simple today, but there are a couple of relevant points that I want to bring out that I think are relevant to Redeemer that will relate to us. And... There's a lot of application in here. We've, we've heard a lot in Hebrews about um, Jesus is the center. Jesus is there instead of the old sacrifices that the former Jews would have been referenced before. And I think that God has brought to my focus three things today. And one of them we've already touched on, uh, which is Christians in prison or under persecution. And thank you, Edward, for bringing us in prayer for that. Because sometimes it's hard to know what to do. I don't know if you're the same as me. But personally, I don't know anyone in prison. I I have met people who've been in prison. I have met people who work in prisons, but right now I don't. And I certainly don't know anyone who's been put in prison for their faith. So sometimes it can feel difficult to know what to do when you read a verse like that and you think, yeah, I want to pray for people in prisons. And I think um, certainly there are millions of Christians around the world who are suffering imprisonment uh, or, or persecution for their faith. Uh, And the stat I read on Open Door um, was that this year alone, 2019, 1,200 churches have been attacked for just being Christian churches. Um, So I just wanted to draw that. I'm going to start with that. Um, Hebrews 13 is about identifying with our fellow believers who are under persecution. Something that we're doing in Redeemer, um, Chris isn't here today, uh, Chris Sutton, he has actually taken a team of 10 to an HDB course uh, called Caring for Ex-Offenders. One of the amazing things about prisons is that there are an awful lot of alpha courses that run in prisons, um, and most of the prisons have chapels. And so we're trying to work out as Redeemer what we can do practically for people who come back to Ealing after they've been in prison. Um, There's a team of 10 who went on that course this year, and I know there's about 20 prayer partners. Uh, Chris is an amazing man of faith, and I know that once he's got something like this, he's going to run with it for years. Uh, If you've not met him, um, he started the Ealing Food Bank about six years ago, which has now got five or six food bank centers around the borough. Um, So I don't know what God's going to do in that ministry. I don't know what he's going to use Redeemer for in Ealing, um, but I do know that the Bible teaches us to sympathize with the oppressed, sympathize with the suffering, the sad, and the marginalized. And I know that there are many more of that class than we commonly suppose, but I know that prisoners need Jesus as much as we do, and we're all free here this morning. So um, just pray for Chris. If you want to get involved, then go and speak to him uh, next week when he's back from holiday. Okay. It says, keep your lives free from the love of money. Now, many of you will have heard lots of preachers about keeping our lives free from the love of money. Jesus preached about money all the time. Paul preached about it. And we're going to go into a little bit of that detail because how prevalent is that in today's 2019 Ealing? 
Pete said to me earlier in the week, he said, materialism has little to do with what you have. Materialism is a heart about what you put as number one in your life. It doesn't have to be an excuse for what you have. Very rich people can be very generous, and equally people with nothing can be very materialistic. So it's not about how much you have, it's not about how many things you have, but it's about our heart. What is number one in our life? What is number one in our life? We learned last week to throw out anything that doesn't help us grow. Throw something away that is wrong in our lives because what erodes our faith is the small stuff. What erodes our faith is the small stuff. When we enjoy the world more than we enjoy God's pleasures, we should be throwing that stuff out because Jesus has to be number one. Jesus has to be number one in our lives because he is superior. Jesus has to be enough for us. Because he is enough for us. So if something else is number one in our lives, then what we're saying is that Jesus isn't enough. And that is just not true. Because the Bible preaches it. Jesus taught it. There is nothing else we need. It's Jesus plus nothing. There was a series we did at Redeemer a few months back, and I can't remember what it was called. But it was essentially Jesus plus nothing. And we must remember that when we read these verses in Hebrews. Keep our lives free from the love of money because Jesus is number one. And we have to be content with what we have. The only way we can be content with what we have is if we understand that verse that God says he will never leave us or forsake us. God says he will never leave us or forsake us. Anything can happen that can take things away from us. Anything can happen. Clothes can rot. Houses can be burgled. um, Things can be stolen from us. We can lose investments on the stock market. We can gamble our money away. I'm not suggesting we do, but it can happen, right? Think you can have something one day and then nothing the next day. So how can we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid? It's the Sermon on the Mount. That reference is, taken, is, is referencing the Sermon on the Mount. And it's basically saying, providing we've got God on our side, which we do, we've got nothing to worry about. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led by anything else. Do not be going back to false teachings, it says later in chapter 13. Sticking to Jesus, being rooted in our faith. There's a a preach on this chapter from John Piper, and one of the things he says, he describes Hebrews as a um, doctrinal foundations followed by radical and practical exhortation peaks. What does that mean? It means that he gives you a verse of of uh, truth, and then he says, go and do this and your life will be awesome. Um, no, he says, go and follow Jesus because he's always number one. So he's saying, um, do not worry, do not worry about anything because Jesus is the number one and he's always by your side. Let your character be free from the love of money. Be content with what you have because the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. God is going to be there no matter what. It doesn't say that God is going to give us all the money in the world. It doesn't say that we're going to be free from financial stresses. He promises to be there and not forsake us or desert us. There are other verses in the New Testament that talk about good stewardship of money. And I'm not going to talk about that particularly today. Because I know that everyone here will have experienced financial stress at some point in your life. Whether you're a student, 
just finishing a student year with a student loan, whether or not you've just finished your degree and you've got this debt and no job yet, there are financial stresses, whether you're working two jobs because the first one isn't quite enough to cover the month. In 2019, this year, the average household unsecured debt, not including cars and houses, which are secured debt, mortgages and stuff, not including those, the average debt is £15,000 per family. And some will be more and some will be less. And I suspect that Ealing in London is going to be more because that's the national average. There are financial stresses that are covering us all. And this verse doesn't exactly say how the debt is going to be solved except to say that we know that Jesus will not desert us. The same promise applies to us whether we have the debt or have the money, whether we have the stuff or don't have the stuff, whether we live in Sri Lanka or London. Because God knows what's best for us in every individual situation. He's in the fire with us. I can't remember who brought that picture earlier. He's right in the fire with us. So if you're struggling in some sort of financial stress, or you're struggling in a relationship, or you're struggling in your workplace, God knows what's best for you, and he's there with you. He promises to be with us. And it's important that we check in with ourselves every so often that we're not putting materialism first, that we are content with what God has already given us. If you're, content, if you're not content, what you're really saying is that Jesus isn't enough. And he, the Holy Spirit has been sent to live inside us to help us make wise choices. Sometimes the right choice is to be frugal. Sometimes the right choice is to be generous. Sometimes the right choice is to give all your money away. It's almost always good not to be wasteful. <laughs> I can't think of an example where it's good to be wasteful. Jesus has given us all the good things in life. It says in the Bible that all good things come from him. And that, that is everything. That is jobs, that is finances, that is housing. And you have good days and bad days. You have good weeks and bad weeks. Abby and I have had a good week. We have moved into a house on Friday. Um, thank you. Which has been a huge number of answered prayers all fulfilled on Friday. Um, if you've been in the prayer meetup last term, you pretty much would have only heard me talking about this. So basically from February, um, we were praying for a particular house, uh, which came through on Friday. And my prayer back then, I don't know if you remember, Toby, was that we would be in the house for the boys' birthdays. And on Friday is Levi's birthday. So we were a week early, which is awesome. Um, but actually, not a day or a week went by where I thought, this is not going to happen. I have so little faith for this thing. And yet we kept praying. And equally, Abby and I kept saying to each other, we've got to make sure that we would be content with where we are, even if we don't get this house. Because our contentment must be in where we're at, what God has already given us now. Now, I'd be lying if I said I'd manage that every day. <laughs> that just would not be true. But I did look regularly um, at what I was praying for and thinking, am I content with where I'm at? What has God already given me? How many blessings has he already given us? And so even though the last month, uh, three weeks ago, I managed to flood three different flats from my other flat, I managed to flood flat 14, 15, and 18, um, all in one plumbing disaster. And uh, even through all of that, I thought, I even started looking at the law, 
are you allowed to sell a house that doesn't have working draining? And it turns out you are. <laughs> I didn't feel good about that. Um, and God came through. And I know uh, that he didn't want us to sell a dodgy house. And now the drains work better than they've ever worked. And I'm very pleased for the new owners. <laughs> Financial stresses are real. I would tell you moving house is an expensive thing. And two weeks before we were planning to move house, having an £1,100 plumbing bill was not something I had prepared for. Um, but we believe that God wants us in this borough, and we believe that God wants us, this, us as in Abby and I, and the family, to be serving God here in Ealing. And I know that God is going to um, use that house for his kingdom advance. I know that. And we, we found generosity even on Friday. The guys we bought the house off left us um, a bottle of wine and um, a hedge trimmer, randomly. Um, <laughs> I d- I don't know what to do with that. But um, they were incredibly generous. And, you know, little things like they'd left toilet paper in the toilets and stuff, which is good. It says in verse 2, we read it there, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. The guy I bought the house off has no clue who I am. He's met me for five minutes. He doesn't know anything other than my name. But he chose to be generous to us. And it's a small example, but obviously is on top of my my mind this week. There are so many opportunities for us to show hospitality to strangers, keeping on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Because what does it mean to be content with what you, what you have? The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. I keep coming back to this verse. What shall man do to me? Nothing. We um, at Redeemer are going to have a gift day in July. And this is a pertinent point to mention it um, because we have a gift day every year at Redeemer. And we generally use it to invest in our vision fund Some of you will know that 18 months ago we tried to buy a building and it didn't work out. And at the time we thought, "Mm, we really thought this was from God. Um, Looking around the room now, we wouldn't have fitted in it. 18 months on, it would have been a real squeeze. And I thank God that we didn't buy it. Um, But we know that God uses these, uh, these kind of, we call them flexing muscles financially. So when we give, we give every year at a gift day because we're, we're flexing that muscle. We're practicing for when the big thing comes along, we know we're going to be ready. If any of you are like me, have you ever signed up to a gym on January 1st? That was me this year. And the first couple of weeks, uh, probably the first six weeks, um, I went a couple of times a week and it was great. And uh, I found some muscles I didn't know I had. And it was, it was a good few weeks. And have I been in the last six weeks? What's my point? My point is, if you don't keep going and keep practicing those muscles, keep practicing that faith-filled giving, we're not going to be ready for when the big stuff comes along and God says, go. We've got to practice flexing those muscles. It's practice for the big event. Hebrews as a book is radically, practically calling us at Redeemer in Ealing to do outrageous, risk-taking, loving things across our borough. Hospitality with strangers is just one thing because we know in our heart of hearts that God's promises are true and he urges us to keep relationships with people we don't know. He urges us to keep relationships with people we do know. That's what the verse 1 says. Hospitality with strangers. Yes, it is the promises of God that are key to this love and this victory over, over sin. We talk about that at church a lot. But we need people in our lives to encourage us every day. That's what we do meetups for. We're not meant to be isolated promise lovers. I could never be a monk. I could never do it. 
I'd get bored after about four hours. If you've ever been at home with me on a Saturday afternoon, about three in the afternoon, I'd say to Abby, like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do today? Who am I going to call? What should we go and see? I couldn't do it. I think we're meant to be relational. This week, um, Abby's been prompted twice to give food to homeless people in Ealing. Um, lots of people do this every day, but that's not something we do every day. And, but we do walk past people in Ealing who are asking for money or asking for food. And I think it's grown in the 10 years I've been living in Ealing. I think there are more people on the streets now than there were when I first moved here. It's Abby's testimony where I'm just sharing. She felt like God reminded her in the, of the story in the Bible of the Good Samaritan where the two people walked to the other side of the road and then the third, the Samaritan said, I want to help this guy. I want to give him the medical care he needs. I want to make sure he's provisioned, given money, looked after. But it's just like the giving. It's just like the muscle of giving. It's a muscle of generosity It was very little effort for Abby or any of us to go and give some food to people. Very little effort. In fact, a few weeks ago, we we offered a a bag of biscuits to a guy on the tube who was asking for food, and he looked at them, and they were ginger nut biscuits, and he said, no, I don't like them, and gave them back to us. Okay, that's never happened to me before, but the muscle of generosity was there and exercised. And that's not enough. Jesus would have done so much more if he were living and healing with us. We're not perfect, and a story of giving someone to something outside Tesco Express is, is tiny in comparison to what God can use Redeemer for. It's not just the physical food that we can offer. That's the, that's the exciting bit. It's not, just, it's not just sandwiches and crisps and a Coke. We have spiritual food that we can offer. We have something so much more Peggy, I don't know if she's here today, um, she often does a praying on the streets thing in Ealing, um, which is just amazing because um, whenever I've done it, I'm, it's so out of my comfort zone. But I know that it's what Jesus wants us to be doing. We've got to be offering prayer for people. We've got to be off- offering hospitality in that, in that different, unobvious way. Take Little Fish, for example. On a Tuesday, you might want to serve on Little Fish, not because you like kids, but because you want to get alongside strangers and offer to pray for them. Hospitality is everything. It's praying for each other. It's giving meals. It's giving people lifts. But ultimately, what we want to see is their lives changed because we know that we've got this truth that they don't know about yet. And it's our responsibility here to go and give it to them. It might be in the workplace. It might be as simple as somebody's moaning about their day and you say, can I pray for you? It doesn't even have to be there and then. You can say, I will be praying for you. That's about as low bar as you can get. (laughs) They don't have to say yes. (laughs) But then a few days later, you can say, hey, I've been praying for you. Has that situation changed? I can't think of a single time I've offered to pray for someone and they've said no. They always say yes. And Ross brought that, that picture earlier. God is empowering us to do what he wants us to do. God is empowering us in healing to do what he wants us to do because Jesus is superior, because we should be devoted to him. And if the whole book of Hebrews um, tells us anything, it's that it points to Jesus. It points to the fact that Jesus is superior and he wants us 
to know him first, to put him first, to have nothing else get in the way, have no other, no other idols but him, so that he can use us, so that he can have a relationship with us, so that others can come to know him through us. That is an incredible privilege to have and be a part of those people's stories. So I'm going to close now. I'm just going to um, encourage you to remember this week that verse 8, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is here now with us. And he wants to have a relationship with us. 